Hey there! Great to have you on board for another edition of The Soccer OG. That's me, Max Bretos. We are going to take another journey into the world of the beautiful game. As always, a gentle reminder at the top of the show to rate, review, download, subscribe, and tell a friend. I won't remind you again till the end of the program, so do it now, because you don't want your friends to miss any of this good stuff. We've been getting great listenership all over the world. Let's keep it going. And we're going to be very busy here on the holiday season. And I can tell you some big news coming up next week. We'll be joining you from Austin, Texas for a special podcast. And check out all my content on YouTube under my name, Max Bretos. We will be there for the USA Trinidad and Tobago game in the Nations League with a spot in Copa America awaiting. I'll be there with some of these great YouTube creators. So check out my YouTube uh, we'll be very busy there, and we'll do a very special podcast from Austin, Texas, where Bob Wills is still the king. I love me the honky-tonks down there. I'm not trying to be funny. I really do. Waylon Jennings, Willie Nelson, I love that stuff. So we'll see you there next week. As for this week, we'll be joined in the business end by Thomas Rongen. Thomas is the subject of the new Searchlight Pictures soccer movie directed by Taiki Waititi, perhaps the hottest director and producer. In uh, Hollywood, Next Goal Wins, documenting the incredible revival that Thomas was part of in American Samoa. So Thomas Rongan, who, in addition to, he's such an interesting guy. He was a great player. He came over to the United States, played in NASL, played for the LA Aztecs here, which were, that'd be a great story to do one day because of George Best and Johan Cruyff. We will, he went from that, he's been coaching. He's now also uh, broadcasting for BN Sports and CBS Sports. But we'll be talking mostly about the movie and a few other things. So stick around on the business end. After that, in Check Complete, once again, we'll be talking about VAR. It's what everyone's talking about. It seems like the referee experts on every network are getting more screen time than anyone else. It's a, it's a crazy time, but it might be hitting a wall here. A lot of opponents, high-profile opponents against VAR. We'll break down what we saw, which includes uh, another interpretation or two here in the Champions League. Stick around for that coming up in Check Complete. But it's the Soccer OG, and we begin with the rundown. As I try to do on these Champions League weeks prevent recording until the games are done. They've just concluded. Not a whole lot to talk about. Unfortunately, the main thing is VAR, which uh, is a big, uh, played a big factor in the biggest game of the round where Copenhagen came from two goals down to beat Manchester United. There was a red card to Marcus Rashford. Controversial, yes. A couple penalty decisions there as well. We'll save that for later on Check Complete where we will delve into VAR because the criticism is reaching a boiling point. It's coming from high-profile people like the managers and the players. And, you know, it's like a witch hunt. And they want heads. And I feel bad for the referees. And, like, the referee experts that appear on TV are getting more FaceTime than the analysts these days because that's what we're talking about every time. I think it's a... It, it, it's an exciting thing to talk about, but it gets stale as well, right? You want to move on. You want to talk about the games. Although, every time we talk about VAR, the conversations get a lot more heated and perfectly honest, uh, interesting. But we'll, we'll delve on that because it feels like there's a breaking point right now. As for the Champions League, there wasn't a whole lot outside of that game. Uh, I mean, the, the, the group stages really just don't do it. You kind of know. I mean, even though there was a, 
Um, some of the heavyweights are moving along. PSG, and pardon me, uh, that group's been interesting, no doubt about it. Bayern, Arsenal, Real Madrid, Barcelona lost, although I think their position in that group is pretty firm. Arsenal's going to win their group. Real Madrid's going to win their group. Um, Man City's going to win their group. And Barcelona will be a little trickier as they did lose in the Ukraine. I mean, it wasn't bad, but I mean, it's like you're not sitting there going, whoa. And even Group F, where we had Milan and PSG. Uh, PSG's a weird... Everyone in that team is weird. Dortmund thumping Newcastle a second straight time. So Dortmund and PSG lead the ways. All four teams, though, as we had expected, still have a chance to advance and potentially win the group. There's two games yet to go. So that's it. Uh, Real Sociedad look like a real outsider that can make some noise. They uh, just thrashed Benfica. And I think the story with Benfica, who made the quarterfinals, right? Won their group and made the quarterfinals. I think when you keep selling players... At 80 million, 100 million, 150 million, eventually uh, that catches up with you. And I think that's caught up with Benfica. They have no wins in four games, no points in four games. So there's a story for you. Uh, we'll see how it fleshes out. PSV, uh, Copenhagen is in second place in their group after that win over Man United. So uh, that's a, a wide open uh, for at least second place. I did want to talk a little bit about the Copa Libertadores. Fluminense beating Boca Juniors 2-1. I've been watching the tournament, and by Boca Juniors, we, we say Boca and we think of beautiful football because of all the great players that have played for that team. But they don't play beautiful football. They really don't. It's a very difficult brand. Uh, Edison Cavani's their high-profile player, got some good young players, and they made a great run. But watch, I mean, that Libertadores final was awful. Some nice goals. The game winner by Fluminense. And Fluminense, the Rio-based team, a very interesting story because of how they've built their team. Uh, well, Fernando Diniz, who is also the caretaker manager of Brazil, is a superstar in the coaching ranks. Uh, wears his emotions on his sleeve. He's a guy we want to keep an eye on. And Fluminense, you know, they have Marcelo, the former Real Madrid fullback. They are going to be around. I mean, that was their first Libertadores triumph. So really... Um, a breakthrough moment, uh, and they beat Boca Juniors, which is you know a huge uh, accomplishment. Uh, they had the home field advantage playing there in Rio de Janeiro, and I just I just want to see a good Libertadores final. They've just been hard to watch. It was just just at a slow pace because the stakes are too high, and nobody wants to take a risk. That's what it comes down to. So I did want to talk about something because you know we we've been. We've had the pleasure of seeing Argentina celebrate so much, first with the World Cup and now with Boca Juniors. And there were these images of Boca Junior fans descending onto the streets and beaches of Rio de Janeiro, the Copacabana, and they're everywhere and they're celebrating. And I'm like, great. And then they're interviewing these guys and they're going, one guy says, this is my son. He, he made like some money on scholarships for his studies. And he sold the money that he made on the scholarships, which were supposed to go to his studies, so that he could come to this game with his dad uh, uh, to just share that moment. And it was like, everyone's like, this is beautiful. This is the beautiful game. This is football. Yes, what a great moment, father, son. And yeah, it's great. And we saw this same thing happen with Argentina. You know, Argentina games are always well attended. And you'd see people well beyond their means of what they could do going to these games and spending money to be part of that special moment. I saw another 
kid. He was 12 years old. He goes, we don't even have tickets for the game. I stole, I sold my PlayStation and my dad s- sold his motorbike so we could be part of this festival. And everyone's like, oh, what a great thing. Beautiful to see that. And I'm like, uh, I, I know the fandom. I don't want to diminish it, but we got to talk about real life here. Argentina is a country that is constantly in an economic mess. And these guys going to this Boca game aren't going to alter that. It's a bigger issue. But I look at what's going on in Argentina and I saw the celebrations after they won the World Cup lasted week and week. This is not how society is supposed to work. You can cheer for your team, but once the weekend's over, get you get back to it. You don't go to Rio for 10 days ahead of a Boca Juniors game. This is something that that country has to resolve. I know I'm being a real Debbie Downer. But I hear this kid, he's going to go home. He doesn't have a PlayStation. His dad won't be able to go to work because he doesn't have his motorbike. This kid may not go to university because he doesn't have his scholarship money because they wanted to go to the Boca Juniors game. Can you see how absurd this is? I mean, this kind of culture of having a good time has got to end at the sacrifice. You've got to make sacrifices. Sometimes you can't see your team. I was just floored and we applaud this. I go, there's nothing to applaud. What's such a negative? I know people go, who is this guy? I don't, want, I don't want that kid to sell his PlayStation. I don't want the guy to sell his motorbike. I don't want that kid to go to the best university. I know it's touching to share those moments with your father and they last forever. But you want to get out of this funk. Maybe the soccer success is the worst thing for Argentina. If they keep going and they keep celebrating, it means everyone wants to have a good time. I want to have a good time. But I don't have a good time because I work. And I got to get serious. Got to put food on the table. And everyone, you have to do it. And I don't want the soccer to get involved with that. You can make a special trip, but there you have it. <laughs> that was my takeaway from the Copa Libertadores. I just can't see these celebrations anymore. And I can't hear these stories and people applaud them because it's wrong. Uh, USA coming up. As I said earlier in the show, we will be in Austin for the USA Trinidad and Tobago game. I want to thank Tactical Manager who extended the invitation to me. So I've had him on the past on my podcast. We'll probably have him on the podcast again. Uh, We keep in touch, but I'm excited through US Soccer. We're going to do something there. And I think US Soccer is seeing this huge audience they have on YouTube. I have a small account. These guys have a bigger account. A lot of people tune in. And you can't shun that. And it's probably a good sign that U.S. soccer is, a, is focused on um, these creators because it's a gateway to a lot of new fans. And U.S. soccer, I, well, I'll get more details of it, but clearly the fact that they're inviting all these guys and Levin Yanks and that is a great, uh, it's a great indicator um, that they're closing the gap because there are gaps in everything we do in this country. Um, there was some good news. Christian Pulisic in Champions League for Milan looked like he pulled his hammy. They say it's just a muscle strain. Um, he's had those kind of injuries all the time. He's avoided them for the last few months, which is great. Hopefully it's not too serious. Uh, hopefully it's not too serious where he doesn't make the roster, which is going to be announced on Thursday. I'm recording this on a Wednesday. We'll have a YouTube video, so check that out, breaking down the roster. So we'll talk about that in more detail then. Uh, Tim Way is out. Uh, Gio Reyna is going to be in, but he's not playing at all. He played in a, a wonderful uh, shift against Hoffenheim. Then he didn't play in the horrible loss to Bayern, and he didn't play in the victory over Newcastle in Champions League at all. So it would appear that he needs a new club. There is... Um, it's This is an important game, right? It's Trinidad and Tobago. It's not Germany. It's not Ghana. 
but this is not a friendly. So you need the best possible team. And if you don't have Pulisic and you don't have Weah, you're going to have to maybe alter your formation. You may have to play with the second forward. You might have to uh, pack the midfield, whatever it is. It is the roster's announcement and who's not going to be there. And remember, Trinidad and Tobago, yes, they, the team that knocked us out of the World Cup. We should beat Trinidad and Tobago even without Weah and Pulisic and Tyler Adams and a few others. But if there's any complications over these two games and our chance of not qualifying, we get a second chance if it doesn't work here to not qualify for Copa America would be a huge disaster considering we're hosting it. They're going to make it. They're going to make it. And the U.S. has proven they're too good to be. They might get a little uncomfortable for a stretch there, but they should make it. We'll look forward to that. We'll talk more on my YouTube page and we will talk more uh, next week when we are in Austin, Texas. But for now, we want to get to this awesome conversation that we had with Thomas Rong and get to know a little bit more about the new movie, Next Goal Wins, uh, with Taiki Waititi and Michael Fassbender and Will Arnett and Elizabeth Moss. Man, this is like a big, heavy hitter for Hollywood. Make sure you support. We've got to support our TV shows and our movies as a soccer community. It's all very important. We'll talk to Thomas about the movie, about coaching in American Samoa, talk a little bit about all things on developing players. He has some real interesting things to say about how we cannot coddle American players for them to be as good as they possibly can be. That is in the business end. That is next here on the Soccer OG. We're back here on the Soccer OG. Time now for the business and a very timely one, although, I mean, this, this is a guest that we could talk about for hours about a great many things in the world of sport. Uh, in particular, soccer. He uh, works with uh, CBS Sports. He works with BN Sports, uh, a legend in the game here in the United States. Thomas Rongen, and we'll talk a little bit about what's going on in the game, but I wanted to bring you on here to talk about the new movie uh, that you is based on your, your experience coaching America Samoa. I'm sure you've seen the previews. Next Goal Wins, directed by Taiki Waititi, one of my favorites, uh, the great New Zealand director. And it's, uh, I mean, I'm trying to find a good place to start, Thomas, but how about how about this? When did somebody approach you about making this your time as a coach of American Samoa? When did someone approach you about possibly making this a movie? Late 2010. Um, at that time, I was still the coach of the under 20 team. And as you know, uh, with the national teams, you come in, you do a camp, the guys go back to their clubs. Uh, every two years, there's a World Cup in the 17s and 20s, but there's downtime. So I had I had a, a time in uh, early January, February of 2011 uh, where Sanu must have looked at the schedule. Uh, so Sanu calls me one day. He goes, Thomas, there's a, uh, a country called American Samoa. It's like Taiwan. It's a territory of us, and they really need some help. Um, didn't say anything else. And, and, and I remember... One of my buddies was sitting not too far from me. And I said, find out where American Samoa is. And, I'm, <laughs> and, and literally five seconds later, he goes, it's next to Fiji. So I go to Sunil, I'm in. Yeah, I'm doing it. <laughs> Have you been to that part of the world before? Well, no, no, that's what I mean. Finally, the, the circle is round because I've been to every continent. Uh, that was the last one I had not been to. And, and you know, Fiji, Polynesia. Then I Google. And they're the worst team in the world. So now I'm going, okay. Um, they're last ranked in FIFA. There I go again. They haven't won a game in 20 years. 
They haven't scored a goal in 20 years. They lost 31 to nothing against Australia. And that, and that was the, the famous that was the famous loss. I mean, because I remember before you took that, yeah. that job, I go 31 to zip, and everyone goes, American Samoa, this it's 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 impossible to lose by 31 goals. In this sport, you can play with eight defenders and prevent that. I I looked at that tape. If it wasn't for the goalkeeper, because he made 10 unbelievable saves as well. And the funny part is there were quite a few three guys played for Rangers in Scotland. And Dick Atkokat was the head coach. The Australian team. And I talked, no, no, Dick Atkokat was the coach of Rangers. Okay, yes. And he was he was so embarrassed because Archie Gamble and those guys were taking the they were taking the piss basically in the end. And he he suspended him for two games for Rangers because you, you guys disrespected the game. You, you you can't do that. Go 20 and then go uh, keep possession or whatever. So it's, it's, it's <laughs> do your 20 goals and then back off. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Crazy. So I, I knew I was up against it. But in, at the end of the day, uh, it was probably the most rewarding professional and, and, and personal journey for me. I get there and there's already two very young British filmmakers just started. They're 24, 25, put all their money together to make a human interest documentary on what brings these guys back that lose by double margins all the time. And then fast forward, we get the win, and these guys go, we have a documentary, which came out in 2014 uh, in the Tribeca Film Festival. And I remember vividly, I'm sitting next to The Rock, the Rock is Samoan, and he was in town, and he, and he supported the movie. Next to him is a smaller guy, and he says to me after the movie, when it was hectic and everybody's, you know, was, the documentary is actually pretty, pretty cool. Um, goes, I'm going to make a movie out of this. I go, yeah, whatever. This was 2014. So fast forward to 18 or 19. Uh, my name is Taikai Watiti. Uh, I just did Thor, and I just won an Oscar wow. for Jojo Rabbit. So I knew immediately who it was. Um, and I'm, I told you at a Tribeca film festival, I remember that. It was you. Oh, my God. Oh, great. Blah, blah, blah. And Michael Fassbender is, is, is going to uh, to play you. So that was from Sunil making a phone call. You want to go? And I'm going, yeah, to uh, now Michael Fassbender, you know, playing me in a, in, in a game based on, on the true documentary, which Taiki had to, you know, he, he told me at the Toronto International Film Festival in his first uh, uh, was released. Um, you know, he 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 said to me because the, 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 not all of it is very factual. To be real honest with you, and 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 he and he basically said I I I had to twist the truth. Otherwise, I might as well tell the people to watch the uh, documentary. Yeah. He said, you know. So whatever. Is he a sports fan? Is is he? Is, He's is, big. Hey, because I saw him at a I saw him at a rugby match. There was in the crowd for an All Black game and. Big time, you would love him. Well, you love, love him anyway, but, but you played for the Santa Monica Rugby Club. I, yes, I remember I did. that, Max Predos. <laughs> he's, nice, he's, a, he's a big rugby guy, obviously, the all, all blacks and stuff like that. But he, he said, I don't know much about the biggest game in the world. And I want to take it on a little bit in my Polynesian way. And I want to give Polynesian actors, but 60% of the actors and actresses are from Polynesian indigenous, which Taiki is descent as well. So uh, he wanted to showcase them. And he knows that his people, in particular the indigenous people, live on the margins. It's a beautiful isle, Max, but it's a sad island. High unemployment rates, yeah. high level of drug and alcohol abuse, obesity. Um, 
you know, I actually should have suggested you because I know that you went to Judith Weston acting. Studio. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You're reading my bio. <laughs> I'm not reading anything. <laughs> I should have. I would have loved to have been on the roll. And by the way, uh, with uh, what they have done, that core of the South Pacific film industry, they've made it better where you see a lot of New Zealand, Australian, uh, South Pacific Island uh, actors get mainly New Zealand because you have Waititi, Tamaru Morrison, who was Boba yeah. Fett in that show. He's been he's maybe the most decorated. Cliff Curtis is an actor that um, you'll see in a ton of movies. You may not know the name. And then they're creating a nice community. And I think that if they can build that, whatever it looks like in American yeah. Samoa, Western Samoa, Tonga, then... Uh, and and, and they is, get some interesting actors too, because if you look at uh, uh, David Fame of uh, 800 Words, uh, yeah. Bayakua, Hawaii Five-0. Uh, there's another guy by the name of uh, Latufugi, the Young Rock, Angus Sampson, the Lincoln lawyer, and then obviously Kamana, who plays Jaya, you know, the, the first ever real-life trench champ, I call her, you know, uh, from the Fafafina community, very much embraced by the Polynesian culture, who became the first openly non- binary and trans woman to compete in a FIFA World Cup. Let me ask you about that because we talked about that when I reached out to you yesterday and how that part of the world is very accepting for the transgender community so much where we have these arguments about, uh, say, a, a, a transgender woman who was a man playing on a women's team and vice versa. But that is very, that is, they don't blink an eye to that in that part of the world. Is that fair to say? No. Yeah, very, very much uh, so, and 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 quite frankly, I think you and I probably think somewhat similar. I'm I'm Dutch, so you know I'm I'm liberal, and and the Dutch are very open-minded, and we embrace new cultures, and that's all not a problem for us. That's not taboo. Uh, just like, although I'm an atheist, but religion to me is not not a taboo. So he tackled that as well in that movie, going you know the atheist wrong and. To religious, and I go to church with them. I finally break down. Uh, you know, in the movie, years. in the movie, your church going. In in no in <laughs> the interesting part is so I after a few drinks in TO, I go Taiki, what the fuck, dude? I go, I'm a, you threw me into a villain. He goes, I had to pick one, and yes, unfortunately, <laughs> you you are a sexist guy initially. You're anti-religion. Uh, you're I gotcha, alcohol. gotcha. You're an alcoholic, which Fassbender is, and then in the end, in the, like in the movie, a Hollywood script, uh, I become a pretty good guy. But it's totally the opposite of what actually happened because I did embrace everybody, including Jaya, uh, from day one. But it's it still Fassbender actually plays me, I think, brilliantly with a little twinkle in his eye. And and let's face it, when is it? On, on the tenth, he, he stars in this thriller by Finch. You know, you're talking um, about. Extreme, you know, inglorious bastard, Magneto. He, he played Stephen Jobs, where he was nominated for an Oscar. What he was did, the, uh, uh, the Ridley Scott movie where he was he was like a uh, yeah, Prometh yeah, Prometheus? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, correct. So for him to tackle a comedy which he's not known for and done it quite well, I'm really, 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 really cool. Uh, very good. Well, let's talk about the arc of the movie because there has to be. You know, we, we talked about America Samoa losing 31 nil and they were ranked bottom of the FIFA rankings. I'm looking at the FIFA rankings now and they, they've actually made it up as high as 164th. They're currently 
186, and there's over 200 countries. So there's been progress there. They're no longer at the bottom, and they score goals, and they've actually won some games. But what was the arc for this, the, the concept of this movie? Obviously, they start at the bottom. What is the goal? What is something that they achieve at the end to, uh, to give you that happy ending? Well, I mean, after 20 years of suffering, uh, not winning and scoring in our first qualifying game, which was held in Samoa, which is another island. And we were in a group with Tonga, Solomon Islands, and Samoa. We we beat Tonga in our first game 2-1, which became world That's news. That's the one, yeah. Uh, yes, exactly. And and That had to be a tough one for Tonga. <laughs> un- unbelievable. And, and there's some great little storylines because the guy that gave up 31 goals against Australia... I coaxed him. It took me weeks to, to get out of retirement because he told me, you know, I walked down the street wanna, and people don't laugh, go leave, through that and, and laugh at me. My son thinks I'm a, you know, I'm, 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 I'm a loser. So I convinced him to come back. And for this guy, I gave up 31 to finally win and cry. I just spoke to my son. He said, he thinks I'm a hero. Thank you, coach. I mean, those were the little things that make this documentary and his movie pretty special. The third day, I'm on the island. There's a day off. I go, what's going on? Well, there is a high school American football game. So then about 10 minutes ago, I want that running back. There's a lights out running back. The guy goes, he's never played soccer. I said, I don't care. I know I have one guy in midfield that's a good passer. I've seen these teams play. They're not very organized, high line, stationary. He will get breakaway. So for two weeks, I did, you know, positional, functional training. 17, he ends up scoring the winner. Fast wow. forward 10 years later, he calls me, he goes, Coach, I'm in Miami. I'm the starting safety for the Oakland Raiders. I'm playing the Dolphins tonight. Oh, my God. Oh. What's what's his name? Um, um, uh, oh, my he's, God. But he's from American Samoa. Because I guess, well, let's, let me just, I'll ask you this. Uh, um, America's, I was, forgive my naivete, but I mean, American Samoa, we, there's some oversight from the U.S. soccer over is that how you got it with that conversation with Sunil Gulati? Yeah, yeah. Oh wow! And then that's Lu, Lu, uh, uh, Shalom Luwa, Luwani was is, is his name. So he went on a football. School. He went to a two year school first, then a four year school, all on oh, yeah. football football scholarship. Uh, he, he could he's at Washington State. A... He was at Washington State. Shalom yeah. Luwani, and he's and so his story is portrayed in the movie. No, it's not unfortunate. Oh, it isn't, and also. Oh not in the documentary because he was an introvert. And I said to the English guys, what a great story. He says, Thomas, we try to get him to talk. He, he, he doesn't talk. So we, you know, and, and so in, in Dyke, he doesn't even, you know, broach that whole subject. But to me, it was a, is a, is a brilliant story in itself as well, outside of Jaya, outside of, I think, the goalkeeper, you know, those were the three main characters in, in the documentary uh, that, did, uh, that did very well. Wow, it's amazing. You look at the, I'm looking at the list of NFL players from American Samoa, and there's a lot. There's a lot from Western Samoa. There's a lot of Americans with a Samoan background that wouldn't Correct. classify. So you have this, I mean, the, the most of the Samoans that you see in the NFL are from American families that learned the game. Uh, and But Shalom Luani, I see him here, a Vegas Raiders, yeah. seventh round pick. I don't think he's in the NFL anymore. He dabbled a little bit here and there, but still, I mean, crazy. It's amazing. Well, what a, we got to look after the Americans, though. Those are our peeps. We look <laughs> after them. They're Americans, and I knew that. But it's it's amazing because such a far outpost of it. Yeah. And 
have you seen i mean what is your contact with that uh that federation now and seen some well, growth i mean they're not going to make a world cup but they're going to be closer than they ever were you know what the interesting part was which also doesn't show really in the movie uh, but in the documentary so i went okay because we're talking about our team is all on island players so i started googling and i found two guys in d1 that had american samoa ancestry i found a guy that played in the second bundesliga in germany and i knew that these guys i brought four guys in off island which is always a you know tough subject because you, you, just like Lennon Donovan comes out and goes, right. you know, it's a big, the, the, the German Americans. So I, I had to be uh, conscious, but those four players in the axis make such a huge difference. And I think there is more of those. If you really do research, funny thing is today, the first one, American Samoa's president, which is still the same CEO, reached out and said, do you want to, help us again with the next World Cup cycle towards 2026. I've not said yes or no, but you're the first one to know that I'm actually mulling that over. Because I firmly believe with one and a half, um, you could get to the final phase, and then you then you face wow. PG, New Zealand. So that was the first phase of Oceania. The winner goes through, which was uh, Samoa. But I think with four or five more additions of higher quality players, in the U.S. that have Samoan blood and get passports, possible like the rest of the, like the rest of the world that a lot of islands have done, be it TNT, be it Jamaica. Why not? You might be able maybe to come in second, and then you got to play that one-off or home and away. You know, let's see. Listen, be fun. Hey, look, remember Australia was in Oceania; they're now in Asia. So the big ones, New Zealand and Fiji, right. and Vanuatu, is Tahiti have had some success because they have that pipeline to France. So yeah. uh, it, it's it's not easy, but it's not far fetched. Do you look? There's so many soccer movies or sports movies that can be made, but this one got made, and it was one of the maybe the biggest director in Hollywood is making it, partially because uh, it's in his backyard of the world, but partially because he's he's a great storyteller and he knows a good story when he sees it. So yeah. this has been greenlit, and then I told you earlier, it's one thing to be greenlit, but these movies can go sideways so quickly. They go, let's just stream it. Let's have it a small release, but this is getting a wide release. And I told you, I saw the pre I saw the preview on Monday Night Football, so it's going to be it's in safe. theaters, and it's going to do well. How, do you think, or I shouldn't say it will help American Samoa soccer? It'll give it exposure. Maybe it'll get some investment. Do you think that's going to be significant uh, because yeah, of this I, I, movie? I, I, I think because it's a, it's a it's a heartbreaking comedy drama, you know, about the world's worst soccer team and. And what T did is such a great job. I've seen it twice now, but I want to see it more, which I will. He just engaged the exploration of sports, culture, community. He knows his people, he said, you know, and the nature of achievements. And then his adoption take on the world's most popular sport. And, and, and he said to me, thinking of it, set lasso meets cool runnings, by the way of the mighty ducks, with my brand of humor, he goes. And he goes, well, listen. The message is simple, he goes. Uh, be happy and slow the fuck down. That's really my message in this movie. But yeah, I love that. I love it too, man. And I, I remember when I first heard that they were thinking about creating this, and I was like, oh, okay, well, let's see if it can make it. And it made it. It's made it, and now it's getting. Yeah. It's going to be a and grand the release. the beautiful thing, Max, is it, it rests on the shoulders of the cast 
and particular the ones with the Samoan and ancestry. Yeah. How many? How many of these? How many of these cast members were actors, or were they these like first time actors, or these? Uh, some of them were first time. Some have had you know Hawaii Five O or or, okay. or or things like that. And then you got Knightley and Rachel House doing you know the comic uh, heavy lifting. Um, and as I said again, the the biggest. I think uh, standout performance was Kamana, who plays the real life transgender chim Jaya as the Fafafina, which is the you know the third gender in Polynesian society, which is totally uh, accepted. So I, I can't wait to see how the audience will will deal with this. It's it's the world's game. So. Uh, you know, Will Arnett plays a great role. I was just—I saw Will Arnett in there too. That those are heavy hitters, Thomas. I know. Fastbender, Knightley, Arnett. Correct, Elizabeth Moss as well. You Elizabeth know. Moss, yeah, she's huge. Yeah. Correct. Uh, there's yeah. gonna be a, there's gonna be a screening. I'll watch it on. Uh, I'm planning on watching it on Wednesday. So hopefully oh, you'll be. Well, you're not gonna be in LA, but uh, I've, I hope to see that. No, I, I was invited actually, but Soccer X is taken because I'm I'm. My fourth job, just like you, is is I'm liaison sports innovation and vitality for the Dutch embassy. So we have 15 Dutch companies coming. Johan Eskens, the legend, will come with the Dutch Federation. Um, and we're making a week out of it. We go to the Hard Rock Stadium, obviously into Miami. And then we venture towards Tampa, uh, to IMG and some other places where hopefully these companies can showcase their wares. And that's from greening, sustainability, to small companies that are, you know, great in terms of innovation and, and player development and things like that. So it's cool. But unfortunately, hey, I could not go. To I know. But hey, should we visit America? Should people visit American Samoa? I've been to Fiji. I've been to New Zealand. I'd like to go more into that part of the world. It's a long trip for everyone. Is that a yes, good place is. to visit? Yeah, yes, it is. It, it, it's not counted as, as the Fijis and, and, and places it's like that. Tourist but. ready, so to speak. Yeah, which actually has its charming qualities, in my opinion. Sure. Because I did venture out to some of these islands, and I go, okay, I'm paying $200 for this hotel room. And yes, it's beautiful, it's green. I mean, this island is mountainous and, and things like that. And I, I knew I could make them technically a little bit better, tactically a little bit better. They weren't fit in all the games I watched, so I couldn't make them there. But I did a team-building process on and off the field, that I think at the end was the success of this this team, including I go to the president. Where where's the highest mountain? He goes right there. I go, yeah, that's pretty high. I said we're going to climb that. He goes nobody's ever done that. So eventually <laughs> we climbed that mountain with the team. And my my message there was a little bit. I remember when I got up there and I was knackered. And I go, American Samoa warriors, show me how to fight and I'll show you how to win. And that's when I started to say, you guys do a shit haka. Nobody will be intimidated. And every day for a half an they hour, built it. We, we did the haka. And the way Taiki does it in the movie, it's pretty intimidating. That's almost, pretty. You know, it's almost like the old blacks he goes, you know? But that was, I, I wanted him to. And then the day of the game, you know, starting 11, blah, blah, blah. I said to my wife, I said, I think they think that they can win. And, and that was, to me, huge Aww. to change a losing mentality to uh, a more of a winning mentality. So great strides. Hey, Wonderful Thomas, I, I, playing all my rugby and knowing a lot of uh, 
Macronesian, Polynesian, Micronesian, mm-hmm. Pacific Islanders. One thing I would never say is they do a shit haka, and you look them in the face and you said, <laughs> it yeah, got, yeah, yeah, you yeah. got the result. I'd be running the other direction. They're like, what? Correct. <laughs> get Correct. back here, Brett. Just... Come get your comeuppance. Uh, oh what a great uh, look and i'm so happy for that part of the world because i've met so many incredible people from all the islands and uh and to see this come through because it's a great story yeah you don't get this yeah we and and you're like me you're actually broader than me because you're also dabbled in modeling you know so you're like a very versed guy like my agent thomas (laughs) <laughs> and 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 I don't know if you still want to talk about the Copa Lib, which you were yeah. one of the front runners of the international game. You called it. I listened to you and, and things like that. So awesome that we can. Well, talk listen. And- let me ask you about the Copa Libertadores, and I talked about it earlier on my podcast. Um, and it's like everything's great. The crowd, the history of the clubs, but sometimes these Libertadores finals are just so negative. You know, and it's like it's it. It was a nice goals, and I was just. I just wish the when they get there, they I know the pressure is so on them that they could right. ramp it up, just what, ramp what, it up. What, what, what I loved about it, I knew going in there were I still watched and loved it. Two two contrasting styles, you know. And by the way, uh, Ultima Run uh, uh, you know walked away after two days as well. The coach of Boca, we knew four four two, low pressure, try to you know try to kill the rhythm of the of Fernando Dini's team. And by the way, Fernando Dini's. How big of a star is, is that guy? I mean, he's going to be. He's coaching the Brazilian national team, and he just won the Libertadores. Came, he's on came a, out of nowhere, and then you, you have Artur, Barca, Barco for Boca, Medina, John Kennedy at twenty-one scoring this unbelievable goal, and then gets a red card. Where else in the world do you see that stuff? You know, and and you know what? Next, I. Took because I've been there myself uh, and I played there and 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 coached there um, in my early stages with Croyf and things like that. I took my under twenty team when I took the job. I said to Sunil Galati and to Dan Flynn, I want to take every two years at least one the under twenty team and close to the team that's going to go to qualifying the World Cup to a Boca River game. And I've done that each and every cycle. And I'm telling you, the first time, and I always told my liaison. As close to the Barra Brava. So we're an hour there before the game. And all of a sudden, he comes Chet Marshall, you know, from Stanford University. Uh, coach, um, I don't know. You know, I have a girlfriend there. She might not like this. Are they going to kill us, these guys? Uh, I go, Chet, welcome to the real world. And we would play at AFA against Argentina. And the coach there was a good friend of mine as well. And he would say, hey. So they do the nipple twist. They do the testicle on, on corners. And here are my white, upper-middle-class, collegiate guys looking at me going, Coach, did you see that? I go, yeah, dude. They're, they're from the favela. They'll sell their mother to get there. Oh, I get it. So finally, years later, I get guys that tell me, Coach, if it wasn't for those trips, understanding that this is a religion in every other country and the way they live it, uh, thank you very much, because I became – a little bit more of a street kid because we were so naive early on. The first, the first guy that was a real street guy was Clint Dempsey. Clint yeah, played we in, haven't had a lot of those in illegal leagues with his older brother against thirty-year-old Mexicans that try to kick the shit out of him on a on a shit field, and he knew how to protect himself. So I, I took him all the way to Boca River in the Bombonera, and I took him to Amsterdam. And now I can say that, by the way, I almost lost my job twice. Thank God for Bruce Arena. And the last night in Amsterdam, I would go, guys, the bus leaves at 10 in the morning. 
And then I walked out, everybody goes, we have no curfew? We're Amsterdam? <laughs> so here we go. 3 a.m., net grab a boy. He's bleeding. He goes, Co coach, uh, they stole my wallet. I go, okay, where were you? Well, you know, I said, where were you? Okay, we're in the red light district. What were you doing? I was just looking. I go, dude, either you, either you go in or you keep walking because that guy that beat you up and took your money is called a pimp. And and if you don't, you know, you either move on or you go in. You go, <laughs> he was stuck I, in the gray imagine, area. <laughs> these three guys just staring at these girls, you know. Oh, oh my God. Good wow, that was, that was quite a move. The no, to give one no, uh, <laughs> what is it? What is what is the word? You just used it. The uh, no curfew. Uh, in Amsterdam, of all places. Uh, that's and they're 17 and learned. 18. 17 and <laughs> Neil and Ben Flingo. Thomas, you remember the 17 and 18? So then goes, TR, we're getting so much pressure. People found out. Again, I was this close, and Bruce Arena just bailed me out. But again, I keep going back, not just to grab a boy, but there's four or five guys now that says those trips made us men. Those trips now, we understand what it is to be a street kid and not be naive that we at times have to do certain things to win games. And so it was all part of the process of, of making them better, you know, and, and, and yeah, I pushed the, the envelope a little bit. I just, I had a, a, a conversation about preparing the, the guy who helps me on this podcast, Leland, we talk about preparing people for the next stage of life. My own son, I want to prepare him and just let him know the world is hard. Whether it's like yep. you're going to be an accountant, whether you're going to be a broadcaster, whether you're going to be a lawyer, or a doctor, whether you're going to be a football player, you've got to prepare or you'll get gobbled up. And I think with soccer in particular, we lack that so much. And when people say, can we win a World Cup? I say, no, we can't because we don't have that in us. We don't have that Correct. win at all costs, that it's in our yep. blood, that we it, there's no there's no other option but to go out and win this game that I'm playing in. And we have some guys that are like that, but it's not nearly enough. And no, it's good that we have coaches to do that because we still wear kid gloves because sometimes we have to, because look, I was in a SoCal here and they had a, a rule. I'm, I'm just going off a bit of a tangent. They had a rule You're where right. um, you can't argue with the ref. You can't make any noise. It's got to be a silent sideline. I'm like, wait a minute. I go, that's, I understand what you're talking about, but that's not preparing. No, I'm not saying these kids are going to be Pele and Messi, but you never know. And they need to prepare for that. We don't allow the kids to do headers. We protect them and protect them. And sometimes you've got to just let them out in the red light district. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Man. And, and, and I'm telling you, we won some games in the World Cup in two or seven in particular when things got really contentious. We're up against Brazil and they don't like it. So we beat Brazil in group play. With Marcelo, with David Luiz, with Pato, with six guys that played more than 50 times for the senior team. Then we beat Uruguay in the round of 16 with Luis Suarez and Cavani on top, playing against two college guys, Nathan Sturgis and Jules Valentin. But I remember all knew, these guys. Wow. And and I'm telling you, it's a tight game. So Uruguayans now starting to kick people, you know, that's their, their, their and, and we kicked back. And I was so proud of my team, and we scored a winner in overtime. And, and and again, I don't want, but in the tunnel, there's guys, you know, fighting right now. Go, yeah, that, that's Luis Suarez. Come on. And, and the cops have to break us up and go, we've come a long way. And and I know what you're, I, I know exactly what you're saying. And, 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 yeah. and we were able to win technically, tactically, mentally, but also physically. We, 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 we knew how to protect ourselves and, and, and shift things our way. And 
push the envelope. And as the Tottenham coach said, you know, we need the best referees in the world because we yes, try to influence Koglu, yeah. Yeah. We try to influence them to make calls going our way. Troy was great with that. Oh, my God. That was – I talked about that in the podcast earlier. It was so refreshing. He goes, we're managers. We're trying to get an edge. We're trying to – not cheat, but we're trying to get – And, and players, he goes, we need the referees to be out there to be able to identify that. And players try to get an edge, too. And the guys that come from the streets, they a lot of times are able to get the edge over a more, you know, white picket fence, girlfriend, they got a dog. I mean, this is the reaction of Chet Marshall in Spain when he was brilliant, by the way with Clint Dempsey and Real Madrid says we want him because Chet Marshall at 18 Max yeah. was yeah. the best had a, Chad best had a great career I ever coached he had everything great in the air for size speed to play and Real Madrid wants to bring him to his academy so wow first he's like oh, yeah okay then we go home I fly actually to uh, where he lives and I talk to the parents the parents go uh, how much is the contract? I go, well, initially this is, but when he makes it and they believe they can, and I do, we're talking about substantial money. Well, you know how much a scholarship at Stanford is? And didn't Chet tell you he's got a girlfriend and we just bought a dog for them? You know? So they said no. And I'm blowing my brains out. I yeah, because like if this was a kid in Brazil, they're like, where do we sign? Or if they're in exactly, Spain, and where do correct. I sign? But, but that's the American thing. I don't blame Chad, but it's like that's how we are. No. We're like, well, we, we, and we're, we're comfortable where well, we are. And no one wants to travel, but we, we but in, in has to make that, that though, Max, that team, my first two or two teams who had one or two pros versus I looked at the roster of the last one or 20 team. Most of them are in Europe right now. And most of them are of a little bit of a different breed right now. So I think we're, we're slowly turning the corner. And in particular, yeah. if they go earlier to Europe, where it's not South America, but still also players look there for edges. And there's street kids from London and Amsterdam that know how to cheat and do certain things. I think that slowly will help us. Do we ever get the culture in this country? No. Can we compete and make a semifinals? I think we can in our yeah. lifetime. Max, I think. I think that's I think that's the ceiling. Maybe one day it changes, but I think that yeah. is that is something we can achieve. Thomas, I know you have a PR tour, a Palooza to, to do. <laughs> I thank you for joining me. This was really a great conversation. And for the audience there, Thomas is really one of a kind here. And just to talk, just to see that there's this movie being made about what he did in his life. Uh, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. This guy is a as a player and then coming to the United States as a player and a coach uh, continues to give. And now as a broadcaster, Thomas. I want to finish off real quick with this one. And this is what Taiki said, actually. He said to me, you remember Coach Beard from Pet Lasso? I go, yeah. And he, and he goes like, next goal wins is about letting go of your baggage, you know, and trusting your intuition. It's jazz. It's Motown. It's Einstein. He was tied to a TV at 2 a.m. in the morning in Toronto. Hammer, tell him it's Gaga. And it's about throwing out constraints put upon you by society and yourself. We all know football is life. And then that whole thing is the beautiful life is total football. But Taiki says, you know, a beautiful life is next goal wins. That, oh, great. That's great advice. Take the constraints off wherever you are. I mean, there you are, go. Good life. Thomas, man, I love you, dude. Thank you for making my podcast better in the time here. Thomas Wrong and joining us here. We'll be back here on the Soccer OG. Oh, by the way, go out and see Next Goal Wins. Check out local listings and go see it because it's a good movie, but also to support our sport here. Uh, it's amazing that they're they're undertaking this. We'll be back here on uh, the Soccer OG. It is time for Check Complete. We'll talk about VAR, of course.
It is time now for Check Complete, an expression that comes from VAR, and for the second time in three weeks, I believe. Uh, we are talking about VAR and Check Complete because that's what everyone is talking about. Uh, mostly for worse. <laughs> Some people sticking up for VAR as best they can because they feel, A, it's still going to get the calls right, and B, because it is... It's box office, right? It's entertaining everyone when we look at VAR and we have these talking points. And let's not be let's not be naive when we talk VAR and I do it on social media and you do it too. The traffic goes through the roof. It is everyone wants to talk about it. Everyone wants to go after referees and it was supposed to VAR supposed to supplement getting the calls right and get rid of those mistakes. However, now it's been going on for four years in the Premier League. It's been going on in Major League Soccer. It's been FIFA. By the way, FIFA did a really good job in the World Cup with VAR. I thought it was really well executed. But it is getting away from the Premier League. Everything is moving to the side because VAR takes center stage. Uh, This past weekend, uh, Mikel Arteta, who is defended the referees in the past was like we can't take it anymore he like he's ready to light his torch and go after the officials wherever they are I found what Mikel Arteta did uh, very petty uh, in the game that Arsenal had over the weekend I I looked at it at the issues that he had uh, in the game and while they're all kind of in the gray area they lost to Newcastle 1-0 I didn't think there was anything too egregious so but you have that and it's just set everybody off in discussing the the issues. Uh, Tottenham Hotspur and who was it? Tottenham Hotspur and Chelsea had a VAR Palooza game where everything kind of was unhinged, and people started to talk about that as well. Uh, very interesting what Ange Postacoglu, the Spurs manager, said. Um, he's he wants to defend the referees. And I think this is really nice and really what we should be looking because everyone, Neil Warnock has been coming in and he said decisions should be made in 30 seconds. He said that the guys in the VAR booth should be former players. That's a little bit of, that's a little bit heavy handed, but there's a disconnect between referees and players. And I guess it goes back to, you know, you want some compassion. You want referees to see it through a player's perspective but referees can't show that too much because they have to get the calls right and that has to in that case remove compassion for example if a call is made in the 95th minute that would have probably been a call in the 20th but maybe you don't call it in the 95th because hey it's the end of the game and the game is up for grabs I mean I spoke doing the Seattle game I spoke to Brian Schmetzer uh, the Seattle coach, and he was talking because there was issues about VAR in MLS as well. But he said, look, I, I've never criticized an official because there's 90 minutes in a game where teams can win and lose it. It doesn't come down to these single moments, which it really doesn't. But it's hard to walk people off the ledge when you're talking about these single moments because the Liverpool, was it the Liverpool Spurs, where I talked about it the first time and um, they admitted the error on the refer- on the VAR, and Jurgen Klopp kind of suggested they should replay the game. You know, these single plays 
are massive. And if Liverpool is in a race for the top four, or perhaps to win the Premier League, and they fall a point or two short, it's going to circle back to that because they know it is etched in stone. The referee said they got the call wrong. And we remember that VAR where they, they just got the messaging wrong. So that opened up the Pandora's box, and now everything is pouring out. The... Uh, the implementation of VAR is too long. They get the calls wrong. The player, the referees are a little bit uh, disconnected and there's not a good working relationship. It's just a long list of things. But getting back to what Ange Postacoglu said, and he first and foremost says, I want to, I want to protect the referees. And I want to say this also, that people say, just get rid of VAR. And you know me, I don't like VAR, but I don't want to get rid of it at this point. I think it, it'd be so... History would not look good upon us if we just said, it's not working, let's get rid of it. Every other sport uses a replay. And if soccer wasn't that sport, it would just be weird. So we have to find a way to make this work. So for those voices that say, get rid of it, that is, that's a non-starter. We've got to find a way to simplify it in my estimation, you know, make it for less and less calls, uh, goal scoring opportunities, uh, get rid of sequential calls where this led to this so we have to take that away uh handball i don't know what we do with that i mean i don't know what you could do we see i don't even know what a handball is uh we had one where it hit the shoulder and you're like that's not a handball if it's this part i mean when we start talking it really i think anything if it hits the arm (laughs) it's a handball but we don't know what a handball is and whether you're an offensive player or defensive player, what's going to get you a penalty? We all hold our breath and we just don't know. Back to Ange Postacoglu for the third time. I should have gotten this already. Wants to defend the refs. He knows that decisions are made. He knows it's a hard job. Uh, and that we have to put them in a position to have the courage to make these calls. Because his fear was that the game is going to be officiated a thousand miles, two thousand miles away, in a suite off a monitor, and we don't want that. We need these referees to be empowered, and I think that is really the big issue. We're taking it away. People want to take that away. We can't. Whoever's in charge there has to be given the benefit of the doubt. We have to be aware that mistakes are made. It's very hard to officiate this game. And then Ange would also add. He goes, "Look, what you got to understand about managers is that," and I'm paraphrasing here is that we spend our whole week trying to find a competitive edge. He didn't say we cheat, but we're looking for places where we can get that edge, even though it, it may not be on the up and up. It might be something where, oh, maybe I'll try a little sleight of hand here, and maybe that'll get me a chance to score a goal. Whatever is required within the rules, and sometimes not within the rules. He openly admitted to that. And he says, in order to do that, we are so savvy as a managerial group. We need the very best officials to be able to call us out on our stuff, right? (laughs) I thought it was such a breath of fresh air. He continues to be a breath of fresh air. I hope it keeps him around. But, I mean, most of these other managers are not on board. Jurgen Klopp and Mikel Arteta, they want to smoke the referees out of wherever they are and take them to the stake in many ways. And that's unfortunate. Because I, 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 I really appreciate what the referees are doing. With regards to the question of it being um, 
Should there be more uh, football people in there? Yeah. And, but more, by and large, we should not diminish the authority of these, these decisions. Arsenal's now on, the, on fire trying to get things pushed back. They want urgent action. Uh, they want the standards reset. I don't know, but we can't talk about this every week about VAR. Right? We can't. They, uh, Arsenal's all behind Mikel Arteta too, which it's, it's, un- it's uncomfortable for the referees. And they know the Premier League is the best league in the world and it should have the best referees. I can't tell you if they do or they do not. There was a situation where Anthony Taylor made a bad decision and he is considered the second best referee in England. He was relegated to the championship. He was refereeing a Coventry game. So I don't know, man, it's, they're eating their own. And I don't know if there's a good solution to all of this. I would say uncomplicated. And I would listen to Ange Postacoglu. I think that guy has more of the answers than anyone else. Uh, As a part of working on this podcast and looking for interesting topics, I hope we get more VAR because it makes the game very weird. And it makes turns a good game into a scandal, which is what we want to talk about, right? We watch we want to talk about. It's a big job, folks. VAR has got to stay, but let's simplify it. And the managers have got to defend the referees, and they've got to be on the same board. No more of these witch hunts. That's bad, bad business. Soccer OG, wanted to thank Thomas Rongan again for joining us. I hope you enjoyed the show this week. We'll have a lot of great topics. We'll be on the road again. Uh, it's in a couple shows, I believe. We'll be there on November 16th and 17th in Austin, Texas. Check out the Soccer OG Thursday for my breakdown of the U.S. roster for those Nation Leagues games. And we will talk to you very soon. Appreciate the time we share together. We'll see you on the next Soccer OG. Until then, Placido Domingo.